shall request the brothers after who have completed the sunnah be mindful of those who are performing salah and come close fill in the gaps gather together inshallah ta'ala <coughs> This one hour, it's a sacrifice of one hour. Someone may have come with the intention of performing just Salat al-Isha. Someone may have the intention of coming, passing by. But the sacrifice of one hour may be a game changer for us. We never know what ayat of the Qur'an, what teaching of Rasulullah sallallahu may inspire you, inspire me, and will become a life changer. And these are opportunities like, like these where the, uh, the uh, remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is taking place. These are amazing moments for us too. Uh, present ourselves and our hearts to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah jalla jalaluhu may make a, s- a simple one decision that I want to change this person's heart. And that one decision can seriously have a whole, not just an effect on our life, but for generations to come, our children, our grandchildren, and so forth. So we request you, inshallah, to please be patient and uh, participate in this program and benefit and sit with this intention that, Ya Allah, I have come here to learn. I have come here. This topic is, uh, is something you've read and been hearing about. Such an important topic, subhanAllah. When Allah Jalla Jalaluhu is saying in the Quran that your greatest enemy, your clear enemy is shaitan. Yet every single day, you and I, we become a victim to this devil. We become a victim to this enemy. And we are not able to get ourselves out of the entrapments of shaitan. How sad when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself repeatedly says, إِنَّ الشَّيْطَانَ لَكُمْ عَدُوٌ مُبِينٌ فَاتَّخِذُهُ Make him your enemy. I'm telling you, he's your worst enemy. Make sure you protect yourself from him. Yet time and again, human beings throughout the world are falling, failing. All of us, our family members, our relatives, and the entire room at large is suffering. So one way to combat this is to learn the tactics. How does shaitan attack us? How does shaitan play his tricks? If we are not aware of our enemy's tactics, we're never going to win. Look at this football. Simple sports. How much effort they put into knowing the opponent's strengths and weaknesses. What type of players are playing on that day. What type of training they have. And it's all based on that. Based on the way the opponents are playing, that's how you have to play. You can, no matter how good of a team you have, if you don't play according to your opponents, you're going to lose. So we have to know our opponent. We have to know shaitan, the devil. How does he play his tricks? How does he influence the average person, the women, the men, the children, the learned, the wealthy, the poor? He has something in his uh, uh, box, toolbox, for every type of person. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned this in the Quran. And the Prophet has uh, explained that in the hadith. So tonight, inshallah, in this session, we're going to be discussing this. And we have our uh, guest scholar today, Mulana Arif Kamal, uh, who, alhamdulillah, is joining us to give this talk. He um, began the acquiring sacred knowledge in 2005, but, and he completed the entire Alim program at the Institute of Islamic Education. And alhamdulillah, he completed the Hifdul Quran along with uh, the Alim program with a passion for Tajweed as well. And then after um, teaching over for one year, Alhamdulillah, uh, in Hivz, then he, he went on to the Alim program. Currently, he's a teacher at Darul Qasim. And previously, also, he served as the Imam of the Masjid in Bolingbrook. And for the, when we were gone for Hajj, uh, Alhamdulillah, Mawlana was giving the, some of the Jummah khutbahs here as well. So you benefited from that. So without further ado, I ask Mawlana, inshallah, to come and share with us uh, this uh, beautiful advice on this topic. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable me and all of us here to put into practice 
all that that he is going to share with us, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. Wassalatu wassalamu ala Sayyidil Anbiya'i wal Mursaleen wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'ina mabad. Faqad qala Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fi kitabil kareem ba'da na'udhu billahi min ash-shaytanir rajimi bismillahir rahmanir rahim. يا أيها الذين آمنوا ادخلوا في السلم كافة ولا ولا تتبعوا خطوات الشيطان إنه لكم عدو مبين وقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم إن الشيطان يجري فيكم كمجر الدم صدق الله العظيم وصدق رسوله النبي الكريم ونحن على ذلك من الشاهدين والشاكرين والحمد لله رب العالمين as مفتي سابد منشن that the topic that inshallah I will be discussing today is about the deceptions of shaitan per the Qur'an and sunnah. And this is really one of the most important topics that we can discuss. Why? Because many of us, all of us, by, being, by virtue of being Muslim, have one common goal. That goal is to attain the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and eventually from obtaining the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala entering Jannatul Firdaus. And the one culprit who works endlessly Day in and day out, hour after hour, minute after minute, second after second, trying to make sure that we do not achieve our goal is shaitan and his friends. And so it behooves us to learn about his tricks. And if we read the Qur'an, you know, as I was um, preparing and thinking about certain things, certain ayat, you open up the Qur'an and you realize Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has dedicated so many verses in the Qur'an for us to recognize our enemy. As Allah has commanded us, Ya That all those of you who believe, enter the fold of Islam completely, completely, 100%. Don't allow anything to contaminate your iman and your Islam. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions after that, that what will be the thing that causes you to not enter completely? When I say not enter completely, that means not enter the, not have 100% complete, you know, love and iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Essentially what that means, I'll mention, is that Umar he came to the Prophet wasallam and he said, Ya Rasulullah, I love you. I love you more than everyone except myself. And then what did the Prophet ﷺ say? La. Meaning, you are a Muslim, you are a mu'min, but you haven't reached the complete faith until you love me more. Umar he just paused for a second. And then he said, okay, I love you more than I love myself. And the Prophet ﷺ said, Al-an. Now you have achieved complete faith. So we're not the type of people who can just think for a second and take out, clean our heart within, you know, just a few seconds and then attain that clean faith, that perfect faith. We have to learn the tactics of shaitan. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Qur'an, as Mufti Sabit has said, that inna shaitan lakum adu. The shaitan is an enemy for you. فَاتَّخِذُوهُ adu That take him as an enemy. 
So what does that mean? If you have an enemy, like the Mufti, Mufti Sahib was saying, then you will learn about his tactics if you know exactly what he is trying to get you to do. Which is not, to, to, he's trying to get us to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah says, إِنَّهُ لَكُمْ مُبِينَ He is a clear enemy for you. And you know, what's interesting is when you look in the books of hadith, there's a chapter which is dedicated just to warfare and battle. It talks about the different hadith the Prophet ﷺ has mentioned in, in regards to jihad. And so the ulama mentioned that, you know, there's two types of jihad. They say jihadul akbar and jihadul asghar. There's a greater jihad and then there's the lesser, lower jihad. And, you know, when you think about this classification, what might come to your mind is that, okay, the greater jihad obviously would be you know, two armies clashing together. But the ulama say no. Actually, that's the lesser jihad. The fact that two armies and two countries go to war, that's a lesser jihad. What do they say the greater jihad is? The jihad that we have to really prepare ourselves for is our fight with shaitan. <laughs> they say the jihad al-akbar is our battle with shaitan because, you know, even if armies meet, there will be a time when that will end. But our battle with shaitan never ends. It's every minute, it's every moment, it's every hour, it's every day of our life. And so therefore, you know, we should learn about this enemy. And you know, one of the famous uh, books written by the Chinese generals, his name is by the name of Sun Tzu. The name of the book is Art of, The Art of War. And he has a very famous quote in this book. Now pay attention to this quote because it's, it's, it's relevant to us. He says that if you know yourself, if you know yourself and you know your enemy, then you will never fear the outcome of 100 battles. If you, if you know yourself and you know your enemy, you will never fear the outcome of 100 battles. So you know yourself, meaning you know your strengths, you know your weaknesses. And then you know your enemy's strengths and weaknesses, you will never fear the outcome of 100 battles. Then he says, however, if you know yourself, but you don't, come, you don't know the enemy, and that's the one thing we have to ask ourselves. We know where we're weak. And we know, we might know where we're strong and where we're weak. That also requires, you know, some contemplation and reflection upon where we're weak and where we're strong. Inshallah, I'll highlight that. But nevertheless, he says, if you know yourself, but you don't know your enemy, then for every battle you win, you will lose one battle. For every battle you win, you will lose one battle. Then he says at the end, that if you don't know yourself, meaning if we haven't thought to ourselves, you know, how has shaitan affected me? Because shaitan works in very a subtle manner. You know, to just, to, just to highlight that really quickly is Allah says, do not follow the khutuwat shaitan. Do not follow the footsteps of shaitan. Meaning what? When shaitan wants to deter you, he wants to take you away from the goal. It's not going to be, you know, a drastic step. Something obvious where you recognize, okay, I have to stop. He's going to take you slowly, slowly, slowly. We're going to be following his footsteps. And he's going to get us to his goal. We won't even recognize it. That's how shaitan works. So he says, if you do not know your, arm, uh, your enemy and you do not know yourself, then you will lose every battle. If you do not know yourself and you do not know your enemy. So therefore, you know, it behooves us to learn about the uh, tricks of shaitan so that we may prepare ourselves and win 
this battle that's taking place constantly. Because recognize Allah talks about in Surah A'raf, you know the surah of the story of Adam alayhi salam and Iblis, the first story, the first way we learn about how shaitan you know, affects us, it's actually mentioned seven times in the Quran. One time could have been enough. But Allah mentions it with details seven different places throughout the Quran. In the beginning, in the middle, and the end. And then in the four places in the, in the middle within it, Allah is constantly reminding you about this trap that shaitan had uh, you know, played with our parents. So therefore, Allah says in one of these spots, إِنَّهُ يَرَاكُمْ هُوَ وَقَبِيلُهُ مِنْ حَيْثُ لَهْتَرَوْنَهُمْ That he and his army see you from where you do not see them. They see you from where you do not see them. So that means that they're working. You know, they're, they're working hard to get us to fail in achieving the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That being said, you know, this, what I've mentioned so far may seem, we have very tough opponents. It's almost impossible to win if that's happening. He's working with an army, we're working by ourselves. Shaitan has given us, you know, uh, uh, the Prophet ﷺ has given us a recipe to defeat Shaitan. But I want to premise the entire talk on one ayah. I want us to keep this ayah in mind throughout the entire talk, which is what Allah tells us. Despite everything that takes place with Shaitan, despite all of his traps, Allah tells us, "Inna kaida shaitani kana da'ifa." That recognize. That at the end of the day, the plan of shaitan is very weak. He's not a tough enemy to, you know, to, to overcome. At the end of the day, the plot of shaitan is very weak. What matters is how much effort are we putting in? How conscious are we in, in regards to this battle that's taking place every minute? So, Bismillah. So that being said, shaitan... As we know from the Qur'an, was amongst the jinn. Allah says, كَانَ مِنَ الْجِنِّ He was amongst the jinn. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had put him in the ranks of the malaika because he had worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so much. And he worshipped him better than the rest of the jinn that he had reached the ranks of the malaika. And so, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after, at the end of all of his creation, Allah created the human beings. So the, the ulama are right. Why was it that Allah created the human beings after every other creation? This is one of the this is one of the techniques of Allah that you know we say you save the best for last. That's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does. Now look, out of all the prophets Allah sent, He sent the Prophet from the best of prophets last. Out of all the revealed books that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent, He revealed the best of His books at the end. Likewise, the same in the same manner, out of all of the creation of Allah, He saved the best of His creation for the last, for the end, which was the creation of human beings. So, after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created human beings, He ordered the angels to bow, to prostrate to the human beings. And although shaitan was not an angel, he was put in their company, He refused. Now the common thing that we're told is the first sin of shaitan was that of arrogance. That of arrogance. But we should know there was something even before that. There was something that produced that arrogance. What was that thing that produced that? This is the first trick of shaitan. Right, right from the get-go. What was it? Shaitan, he had an ego. What was the ulama referred to as ujub bin nafs? He felt that why do I have to bow down, bow down to shaitan? Why? Because everything that I'm doing in terms of worship was from my own innate ability. 
it's not, it was from our own inherent qualities. I had the ability to do this. Right? So because of that, he felt that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was ordering him to bow down to Adam alayhi salam, he said, why? I'm the one who is doing this. When that ego produced this result of arrogance. So this is the first thing that shaitan will do. He will put ego, he will put an ego. He will give, he will give us an ego. Now to put that into better terms, I want to highlight one thing. You know, there is one way that you can check within yourself to see whether we have an ego or not. Because when we think of an ego, it's almost like an offensive thing. Someone tells you offensive thing. Someone tells you you have an ego. You think, what? I don't have an ego. What are you talking? It's like you feel like they just offended you, right? Like they insulted you. But at the end of the day, we have to really ask, ask ourselves, does that ego exist within us or not? Now look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention a few things. But the first thing I want to mention is about Imam Ghazali rahmatullahi alayhi. Imam Ghazali says something very, very interesting. Now before I mention his quote, we have to understand the context in which he mentions this quote. So Imam Ghazali, he says, you know, in his book, Deliverance from Error. He says for six months, he was someone who when he, was, he wouldn't give lessons, thousands of people would flock to his dumps. And he says, for six months, I did not know what my intention was. I did not know if I was trying to become famous, or I, did not, and I, or I didn't know if I was trying to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He says this in his book. I, told, I, was just, I didn't know where my intention lied. I didn't know where my heart was. Whether it was to gain fame, or whether it was to you know, build my akhirah. He mentions these words. So what did he do? He made arrangements for his family. He made arrangements for his daughters. He made arrangements for his uh, wife. His son had passed away at that point, and he went. Decided. He told them that he was going for Hajj, and he decided to seclude himself for ten years. And in these ten years, right, he went from city to city to city, and he had a particular profession. One of his professions was that he would just write books, and he would sell these books. And later on, he ended up becoming the the janitor of one of the mosques in Damascus. And so, what happened? Think about this. Imam Ghazali, he was sweeping. He was, he was doing his job, he was sweeping. And in the masjid, they were having a dabs, they were having a lesson from his book. And so, he, the, the person who was giving the dabs said, and our great Imam, our great scholar, Imam Ghazali says, so what happened? He says, at that point, I felt some happiness come inside of my heart. Right, so he said, I did not know if I, if that was because I was, that he's mentioning my name, that I'm becoming happy, which means it's giving birth to an ego. He says, I felt that that was, that was something that was, I was fearing, so he said, I left. I had to leave that job, and I traveled somewhere else. What did he say then? He said he ended up taking a job somewhere else, and what happened was, he took a job as a janitor somewhere else, and there was a person who approached a, a group of scholars. And this person asked those group of scholars a question, which they didn't know the answer to. But Imam Ghazali, rahmatullahi alayhi, he was sweeping and he knew the answer. The ulama didn't know. He knew the answer. So he said, he thought to himself, I should go tell this person the answer because if I don't, then he won't get the guidance that he's looking for. So he went and he told that person the answer. The person looked at him and started laughing. He said, who are you? You're a janitor. You're a general. All these, those, those group of ulama couldn't tell me the answer. And now you're, you're giving me the answer. So as he was laughing, those group of ulama, those, the ulama, they asked that person, what are you laughing about? And he said, you know, he said, 
I asked you this question, you didn't know the answer. This janitor is now giving me the answer. I said, what answer did he give? So the person repeated the answer to their ulama, and their ulama were amazed. And they began praising him. So what did he do? As he says, as soon as they began praising me, I knew I had to travel, I left that place. So after traveling like this to protect his heart, he said at the end of these 10 years, I realized that the root of all sin is one of three things. He says, I realized that the root of all sin is one of three things. He says, number one, jealousy, hasad. Number two, showing off. And number three, urjub bin nafs, having an ego. Now we might not reckon, we might think to ourselves, you know, these are things where, where we, we have no relation, we're not, we're, we're not jealous people, you know, we're not people who like to show off, nor do we have an ego. But if we really introspect, if we, if we really think about the state of our heart, when something takes place within it, when an emotion is built, when we're sinning, we will learn that what Imam Ghazali is saying is true, that one of these, one of, each one of our sins will return to one of these three things. And so what does that essentially mean? When we, when we have an ego, what that means is that we feel that whenever we're doing something, that it is because of our own innate abilities. Therefore, we'll have an opinion about ourselves. We'll formulate an opinion about ourselves. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, he says, the two biggest catastrophes that can befall an individual are number one, number one, a person becoming despondent in the mercy of Allah. Meaning they feel that Allah will not have mercy on them. This is one of the biggest catastrophes. He says, number two, the other biggest catastrophe that can befall an individual is them building an ego. Them building an ego. Them thinking that whatever happened was because of my own abilities. Now, what does that mean? Look, whenever we accomplish anything in our life and we achieve the result that we're looking for, naturally what takes place is we become happy. Right? Naturally, whether you're at work, a problem comes up and you solve that problem. Whether some, something, sim, something simple as someone gives you a phone and says, okay, my phone is having trouble, can you, fix the problem? can you fix this problem for me? And we fix it. We become happy. We'll, we'll naturally become happy. Now we have to ask ourselves, what is the cause of that happiness? Is the cause of that happiness because we felt that we were intelligent and we fixed the problem? Or is the cause of that happiness that we felt that we were the unworthy recipients of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah gave me the ability to do this, and because of that, I got the desired result. If you look in the life of the Prophet sallallahu it was a second thing. Because what will that lead to? When we recognize our dependency upon Allah, that will lead to humility. That will lead to humility. Whenever the Prophet sallallahu achieved his goal, he became more and more humble. Just take the example of Fathu Makkah. I mean, just take the example of Fathu Makkah. The Prophet ﷺ just wins a battle. And if anything, he could be walking to Makkah to Makkah with his head high, happy that this happened because of me. But what did the Prophet ﷺ do? He walked into Makkah to Makkah with his head low. Humble. That the, we, we achieved, we got the desired results, not because we were strong, not because we were smart, but because we were the unworthy recipients of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now that being said, what is one way we can see within ourselves whether we recognize that or not? The opposite of feeling that you have an ego is what? Feeling a dependency. If you, either you have an ego and you feel like you don't, you're not dependent on anyone, or the, 
you feel that you're dependent on someone and that you have no skill. And if you feel your dependency on someone, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what will that do? That will force us to make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala more. Just ask ourselves, in any given situation that we have, how often do we make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Right? If we look in the life of the Prophet sallallahu there's a dua for everything within our life. Waking up, before eating, before sleeping, leaving the house, before a difficult task, at the beginning of the new year, everything we have, there's a, everything, every situation in our life, we find a dua for it. Why? Because in every situation the Prophet ﷺ found himself in, he felt dependency and he felt compelled to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to reveal and send upon him his mercy. This is the one thing we will, which will help us recognize whether we have this ego. How much dua do we make to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And before I go on to the next disease, we should know, the next trap of shaitan, we should know that making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is why the Prophet sallallahu said, Al-du'a'u al-ibadah. That dua is ibadah because the purpose of our ibadah is to feel dependent upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if we have that internal realization, then we will always be making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet says that Laysa Shayun Akrama There is nothing more honorable in the sight of Allah than dua. And then he says, Mallam yas Whoever does not make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah gets angry with this individual. At one time the Prophet ﷺ gathered the companions and he said, whenever you have an opportunity, make dua. Whenever you need something, make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet ﷺ, the Sahaba said that we will make dua a lot. We will make a lot of dua. The Prophet ﷺ then said, Allahu Akfar. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the ability to give you even more than what you're asking for. Meaning the fact that you're asking abundant dua doesn't take, require any effort from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is the first thing, this is the first um, trap of shaitan to make us forget our dependency on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and therefore cause us to build an ego inside of our hearts. This is the first thing shaitan will do to get us to forget our dependency upon Allah. Once this takes place, then shaitan slowly, slowly works. But if, sh- if a person, shaitan knows that a person has this dependency on Allah, then it will be much more difficult for shaitan to affect an individual. The next thing, if you look in the life of Adam salam, what was the next thing that shaitan did? He extracted them, he extracted our parents from Jannah. Now we know that Adam salam from, from Quran, that he did not perform a sin. It was not a sin for him to have eaten that fruit. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that فَنَسْيَ وَلَمْ نَجِدَ لَهُ عَزْمًا That all the anbiya, they, they are ma'asum, they are free of sin. What happened with Adam alayhi salam was that he forgot and we did not find any resolve in his action. We did not, he did not do it intentionally. So what was the next result? What was the result of the second uh, effect of shaitan? Was he removed from them? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya bani Adam ala yaftinannakumu shaytanu kama akhraja abawaykum minal jannah. Do not allow shaytan to cause you to fall into fitna, like he took your parents out of jannah. And then what did he say? And then he exposed their, their awrah. He exposed their awrah. What is that a metaphor for? What does that show? That one of the things that shaytan pushes, one of the thing he, things he encourages in society is immodesty. 
One of the things shaitan will encourage within society is immodesty. He will want people to dress immodesty. He will want people to not observe haya. Essentially what shaitan wants to take away from an individual is the concept of haya. And this is something that we find that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam have encouraged over and over. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says that if you have, if you have no haya, then do whatever you wish. Meaning if people are just following their desires, they're just doing what they want, that shows that's indicative of the absence of haya. And if we look, we will learn, if we look at the hadith, we will learn that there are essentially three you know, types of haya. Number one, haya in dress. The first type is haya in dress, the way an individual dresses. So one thing that shaitan will do, and today, you know, one of the, one of the things we find in society is that the more modest a person tries to dress, the more they are criticized. I mean, one of the one of the uh, one of the things that non-Muslims say about what about Muslims is what that they oppress their women. Why? Because they're forced the women to cover up. That was something from our fitrah to want to cover ourselves up, to want to dress modestly, modestly. But Shaitan wants to take that concept of modesty and take it away from human beings. And really, I'll tell you. Our youth are, 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 are very you know, affected by this. Our youth, especially those youth who are particularly going to public school. I mean, I've seen it, I was, as he mentioned, I was an imam for three years. And even, to, even still today, I get calls from parents. That one of the things we find today, which is praiseworthy, is Allah says that when you dress, to show that you have taqwa in your dress, is the best, which means what? You don't reveal your body, you dress you know, with loose clothing. Today, even men are dressing around with tight uh, pants. And that is something that you find with the celebrities, that's something you find in, you know, with our youth in high school. And even you know, in Islam, where men are prohibited from wearing certain colors. Any color that is associated with femininity that's just strictly for women, such as pink, or red, things like this. Today you find men wearing pink more than any other color, right? And that's something that's not supposed to, that's something that is against modesty because that is a color just strictly associated with the other gender. And haya in particular means that you act according to the mandates of the sharia. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us, wants there to be a separation between the way men dress and women dress. Another way shaitan will affect the women in regards to dressing is that one of the obligations of women is to wear hijab. So a lady will wear hijab. But along with that hijab, a lady will wear tight clothing. A lady will wear, or Muslims will wear you know, revealing clothing. At that point, you know, the hijab, the concept of hijab is not just to cover the head. But the concept of hijab is modesty. To prevent the opposite, the, to prevent attraction of the opposite gender to want to look at you. That's essentially what it will mean for women to be observing the hijab. Shaitan will do what? He will tell the lady that you're wearing hijab. Whatever else you're doing is okay. You're wearing the hijab, you know, wear whatever else you like. It's fine. Because you're, you're fulfilling the requirements. You're wearing the hijab. If you, so what if you're just wearing you know, the other clothes like that? That's how shaitan will affect you know, the sisters. So this is the first type of haya in, in, in dress. And shaitan wants to remove that from society. The second type of haya is in speech. 
The second type of haya is in speech. You know the Prophet it comes in a hadith in Muslim. The Prophet said that when a person wakes up, every limb in the body takes refuge from the tongue. Every limb in the body takes refuge from the tongue and says, why? We seek refuge in you because it is through you that we are recognized. The rest of the body seeks refuge in the tongue because through the tongue, the rest of the body, the whole person is recognized. And number three, the last type of haya the ulama discuss is haya in akhlaq, having, having proper akhlaq. The Prophet says that there were four things that all the anbiya salam had in common. This is number one, miswak. They all used miswak. Number two, itr. They all used itr. Number three, nikah. Of course, with some exceptions, with the exceptions of Yahya, we know alayhi salam, but nikah from the majority of the anbiya. And number four, modesty. This is the fourth commonality, the, all the, the common thing that the, all the anbiya alayhi salam had was that they had modesty in their dress, they had modesty in their speech, and they had modesty in their akhlaq. Furthermore, amongst the traps of shaitan is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّمَا يُرِيدُ الشَّيْطَانُ أَن يُقِعَ بَيْنَكُمُ الْعَدَاوَةُ وَالْبَغْضَاءُ The shaitan wishes to incite within you enmity and malice. He, so there's one thing that shaitan attacks the individual on it. And he attacks on an individual basis. Another thing is that shaitan attacks on a communal basis. How is that? That he wants a person to hold enmity, malice, negative feelings in their heart for their fellow Muslim brother, for their fellow Muslim sister. So this is one of the things that we learn that shaitan will do. Now, we have to recognize that it is our job to try to prevent any type of negative thought to occur in the mind of our brother or sister. You know, one time the Prophet ﷺ, he was in the masjid, and his, his, his um, wife, our mother, Safiya, anha, she came and she visited him. And they had a conversation, and later on, after the conversation, the Prophet ﷺ and Safiya, anha, he got up and he walked outside the masjid to walk her to the door. And as he walked outside the masjid, what happened? He, there were two companions. This is a hadith in Bukhari. There were two companions, two Ansar, they were walking. And as soon as they saw the Prophet ﷺ and a lady next to him, to him, they started walking very fast. They became ashamed. They started walking very, very fast. And so the Prophet ﷺ looked at them and he said, Ala rislikuma. Ala rislikuma. That wait. You know, not so fast. You know, slow down. And then he said, you know, this... This lady, she is Safiya. And he's saying that this is my wife. So don't think that I was with any, you know, strange lady. Then the, some companions went to the Prophet and they said, Ya Rasulullah, why would we think anything negative of you? You don't have to clarify yourself. Why do we have to think anything negative of you? The Prophet then said, The reason why I am clarifying this to you is because shaitan flows through you Shaitan flows through your veins like blood flows. And he says, I did not want Shaitan to cast a negative thought inside of your heart about me. 
So I'm clarifying this. This is one thing that we find that shaitan will do, he will put dhun inside of the mind of the, of the believer. The believer, number one, it's our job to not allow that you know, suspicion or thought to just um, to, to, to uh, believe in it, to believe that it is, it, is, it is correct. And at the same time, it is a job of the person who is looking to prevent that from taking place. And this is why the Prophet ﷺ says, that fear any situation which someone could blame you. You know, don't put yourself in a situation where if someone was to see you in that situation, they would blame you. That they would think that you are doing something negative. So it works both ways. The person is not supposed to be assuming anything on, the, on, on behalf of their brother or sister. And at the same time, a person is not supposed to put themselves in a position where if someone was to see them, that they would have a negative thought. And if they are, it is their job to clarify that. It is their job to clarify that regardless of who it is that they, that, who it is that they are in front of. So, one of the things that we find in common in regards to these first, first three, you know, disease, these first three attacks, is they are all attacks of the heart. The attack of the ego, you know, the attack of haya. It's, it's, it's external and internal. And the attack of building enmity and malice inside of our heart. This is all attack that shaitan plays in, in regards to our heart. Shaitan wants that we present ourselves in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with a, with a dirty heart. Because he knows the hadith comes, the Prophet sallallahu said, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَنظُرُ إِلَىٰ أَمْوَالِكُمْ وَلَا إِلَىٰ أَجْسَادِكُمْ وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ يَنظُرُ إِلَىٰ قُلُوبِكُمْ Allah will not look at your wealth, Allah will not look at your bodies, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will look at your heart and the state that you kept it in. Shaitan essentially wants us to contaminate our heart with these feelings, with these you know, negative qualities. And this is why it's very important that we become aware of it. And in addition to this, this, this uh, a trap of shaitan in trying to put inside of our heart negative feelings for our brothers and sisters, the Prophet ﷺ said in a hadith in Bukhari, إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَرِهَ ثَلَاثِ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala dislikes three things. Allah hates three things, the Prophet ﷺ said. What did he say? كَثْرَةُ sual When a person just asks too many unnecessary questions. إِضَاءَةُ mal When a person when a person just wastes their money. Because wealth is also a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When a person just wastes it, this is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala dislikes. And the third is قِيل وقال. That a person just spread rumors about their Muslim brother or sister, or even about the non-Muslim. This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala dislikes. The Prophet said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hates when a person does this. So this is what shaitan will try to get us to do. To spread rumors, to build negative thoughts inside of our hearts and inside of our minds about our, about our Muslim brothers and sisters. It is our job to think positive. You know, and it is our job not to spread any rumors and do shaitan's work for him. Whenever a person would come to the Prophet ﷺ and complain about their fellow companion, the Prophet ﷺ didn't, didn't just believe him. Although all the companions we know are truthful, the Prophet ﷺ didn't just believe him. Whenever any type of news is brought to us about our Muslim brother or sister, it's not our job, number one, to believe right away. What would the Prophet ﷺ do? He would call the companion who he was complaining about and then verify this companion is saying this about you, is this correct? 
Is this true? And only after they applied it in the affirmative would the Prophet ﷺ address it. Meaning what? If a person is saying something, they're claiming something, and that hasn't been verified, the Prophet ﷺ is not going to give it any weight. The Prophet ﷺ is not going to give it any type of attention. Likewise, if any rumor is spread in the community, in the family, about your fellow brother, or about your sister, number one, it's not our job to start digging in, asking, looking for more details. And number two, it's, some, it's from the sunnah that we don't just take it as fact until it is verified. Shaitan wants a person to hear something and then spread this gossip. So that because it's something that is very entertaining. This is something that shaitan will do. You know, Imam, Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi in his sahih, he has a chapter. You know what he has titled, titled this chapter? He titles the whole chapter that the nullification of a believer's actions and they do not even know that their deeds are being nullified. Which is what? He brings the chapters of what? He brings the hadith of what? When a person has negative thoughts about their Muslim brother or sister, when they are spreading rumors about their Muslim brother or sister, he's saying when a person is involved in this and along with that they are doing good deeds, Imam Bukhari says, uh, according to this chapter, that those deeds in the eyes of Allah will not have any weight because the person has kept their heart in that particular state. So this is one of the traps of shaitan. Shaitan wants us to do this. And in addition to that, you know, when you look in, at the pattern of shaitan, when it came to his actions, what we would consider at that time his good deeds, he attributed that to himself. That I am the one who did this. It, it happened from my own innate ability. And it caused birth to his ego, which caused him to become arrogant. When it came to his sin, which was what? Of not bowing down to Adam alayhi salam, what did he say? He didn't, he didn't acknowledge it. He said, He said, Oh Allah, I performed this sin because you caused me to do it. He said, Oh Allah, you caused me to go astray. That's not my fault. Now look at Adam alayhi salam. Adam alayhi salam, we know from the Quran that it was not a sin. It was a mistake. And despite it being a mistake, what is the response of Adam alayhi salam? What does he do? Does he try to, you know, uh, does he try to in any form, shape or way say that it is okay? What does he say? He says, رَبَّنَا ظَلَمْنَا أَنفُسَنَا he says, Oh Allah, because the wrong that I have done to myself. So when it came to his sin, when it came to his sin, Iblis did not want to acknowledge it. But when it came to Adam salam's mistake, Adam salam wanted to acknowledge it. What does this show? That one of the traps of shaitan will be what? Shaitan wants us to forget about our sins. Shaitan will want us not to show attention to our sins. Shaitan will want us to feel that you know, we're, we're, we're perfect. We're, we're in a good state. We don't have to do tawbah. We're, we're, we're perfectly fine. Our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is untainted. We haven't done anything wrong. Whereas the perspective of the believer is what? To continue to see themselves in a deficiency. Continue to see themselves in a state they, were, they need to continuously ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for forgiveness. If there was anyone who would be absolved of this, who would it be? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But what do we find in the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? He says, أَنَا أَسْتَغْفِرُ رَبِّي أَكْثَرَ مِنْ سَبِعِينَ مَرَّ كُلَّ يَوْمٍ The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, that I seek the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala more than 70 times a day. 
Even though the Prophet ﷺ had no sin. But it's about being in a state of humility that you see yourself in this deficiency in your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you want to continuously ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for forgiveness. And this is what shaitan will cause us to forget to do. He wants us to feel that we don't need to seek Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness. Right? So this is one of the things. And if you look, you know, in, 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 in just within the virtues of seeking istighfar, one time there were three people who came to Hassan Basri. Rahmatullahi alayhi. Hassan Basri was one of the greatest tabi'een. A farmer came to Hassan Basri and he said, you know, I have, you know, a, a cropland, but it's not giving me any fruits. What should I do? What's the solution? Hassan Basri said, Alayka bil istighfar. You need to seek the forgiveness of Allah. And this is all taking place in front of his students. Then a father comes and he says that I am not having children. Now what should I do? Hassan Basri rahmatullahi alayhi says that alayka bil istighfar, that you need to seek the forgiveness of Allah. Then a third person comes, a poor person, a miskeen. And he says to Hassan Basri, I'm very, very poor. What is my solution? What should I do? Hassan Basri said, alayka bil istighfar, that you need to seek the forgiveness of Allah. Now as these people went, the students of Hassan Basri were in front of him. And after they left, they asked him that three different people came to you with three different issues and you only gave them one solution. How is that? Hassan Basri then said, haven't you read the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? فَقُلْتُ اسْتَغْفِرُوا رَبَّكُمْ إِنَّهُ كَانَ غَفَّارًا يُرْسِلِ السَّمَاءَ عَلَيْكُمْ مِدْهَارًا That seek the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah commands to seek the forgiveness of Allah because He is all forgiving, oft forgiving. And then He mentions the virtues of seeking forgiveness. يُرْسِلِ السَّمَاءَ عَلَيْكُمْ مِدْهَارًا That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send water from the sky in abundance. What was this? This is the solution to that farmer who wasn't getting crops. وَيُمْدِدَكُمْ بِأَمْوَالِ And then he will aid you with wealth. One time there was a companion who had many debts. A companion who had many debts. And he was worried. The Prophet ﷺ saw him in the masjid. And he asked him, he saw that there were some signs of, you know, worry, anxiety on his face. The Prophet ﷺ asked him, what is your issue? He said, I have these debts and I'm worried. The Prophet ﷺ then taught him a dua and he told him to seek the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Likewise, a miskeen came to Hassan Basri. Hassan Basri said, you need to seek forgiveness. Allah says, وَيُمْدِدُكُمْ بِأَمْوَالِ And he will aid you with wealth. And then the parent came who wasn't having children. Allah says, وَيُمْدِدُكُمْ بِأَمْوَالٍ وَبَنِينَ And then He will give you children, pious children. So this shows what? This is, the, this is all the outcome of seeking the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what? What does shaitan want? Shaitan wants us to forget our, forget our sins. Shaitan doesn't want us to seek forgiveness in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now look, you know what true tawbah is? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. You know what true tawbah is? Let me give you an example. Imagine yourself, let's say there's an individual, he's working, and he has a very, he has a very difficult financial situation at home. Very difficult financial situation at home, but he has his job. Then his boss calls him into his office. His boss calls him into his office, and then says, you know, I, I regretfully have to tell you that we're letting you go. 
because you did this, this, and this mistake, so we're firing you. What will be the response of that worker? How will he plead to his boss? Say, please forgive me, I'll never do it again, you know, I promise, you know, just give me one more chance. He will cry his heart out in front of his boss because he knows if he doesn't, right, he's, he's going to be in a difficult situation. And then if his boss gives him his job, what will happen? Anytime the opportunity to commit that mistake comes in front of him, is he ever going to do it? No, because he knows that if I do, then there goes my job. And then there's a difficult situation I'm going to be in. Likewise, Toba is crying in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like that. And making a firm resolve that you, we will never return to our sins. And then if that sin ever presents itself in front of us, that we feel that it is repugnant, that we will never want to do it. Because we know that that one sin could be our ticket to Jahannam. That one sin could be game over. That's all shaitan wants. Shaitan will work his, his whole life just to see you slip once. And that could be enough to take you away from the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is what, this is what shaitan wants. And you know what also is part of uh, the plan of shaitan? which is connected to Tawbah. You know, Allah talks about shaitan. He says, وَزَيَّنَ لَهُمُ الشَّيْطَانُ وَأَعْمَالَهُمْ The one thing that shaitan does constantly and constantly is he takes the people who sin and he beautifies their actions for them. In regards to people who sin, he beautifies their actions for them. You know, what happens is that just recently, you know, I was with a group of Muslims and I'm not being judgmental, I'm just sharing you know, observation with you. There are a group of Muslims and you know, it's unfortunate that this is the case. There were a group of Muslims who got together and they were reminiscing about how one time they had drugs. And they were saying, well, you remember this happened? You remember that happened? And you know, you, this is what happened? What is that? They're performing a sin. But the fact that now that they're making an entertainment out of it, this is the trick of shaitan. Shaitan will beautify their actions for them. Whereas one of the signs of tawbah is what? One of the signs of tawbah that you, we have committed true tawbah is that whenever we think of the sin, it continues to cause remorse inside of our heart. That when we think of the sin that we committed, that we made tawbah for, that we will not laugh about it. We will not joke about it. We will not entertain ourselves about it. We will want to forget about it. And whenever we think about it, it causes remorse inside of our heart. It causes us to cry. This is what true tawbah is. And this is what shaitan wants to take us away from. Shaitan wants us to forget about our sins. Shaitan wants us to Shaitan wants to beautify our actions for us. So this is, you know, amongst the um, uh, traps of Shaitan. And in addition to that, another trap of Shaitan, you know, is that Shaitan will always want us to look at those people who are below us in Deen. You know, uh, the, the Hadith says, "Unzuru man fawqakum fid wa man tahtakum fid dunya." That when it comes to our dunya, the Prophet ﷺ said, look at those below you. Why? Look at those who are more, you know, that are, that don't, are not as fortunate as you, so that you may make shukr to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he said, when it comes to your deen, look at those above you. Why is it that you may strive to be like them? You may make goals to try to be like them. What does shaitan do? This is what shaitan does. Whenever a good deed presents itself when a person says, you know, you should do this, why don't you do this? Why don't you take this class? Why don't you pray five times a day? Why don't you read Qur'an? A person will say, well, at least I'm not doing anything haram, brother. <laughs> at least I'm staying away from the haram. 
So what if I'm not doing anything, you know, if I'm doing the extra good, at least I'm not doing the haram, that, you know, that's good enough for me. So what happens is that the person, in terms of their deen, they have low, they, they have low goals, low expectations. That their job is just to meet the minimal requirements. And then when it comes to them wanting to strive to do good, then when a person makes intention to do good, what will shaitan say? You know, tomorrow. And you want to go to Isha Salah today? You don't go today, you're tired. You didn't get much sleep last night. You have work tomorrow. You know, just go. Just, just don't go to the masjid, just pray at home. This is how shaitan works with our, our, our deen. Right? Where a person, how, how, how many times does this happen? So many cases have been brought to me. A person comes to me, a youth, who's just finished high school, they have the desire to do the alim course, you know, one year course, let's say here at Dar es Salaam, or they have the desire to memorize Qur'an, but their parents tell them, you know, after college. <laughs> after college. That's a trap of shaitan. Shaitan just wants you to delay it, and delay it, and delay it. If the opportunity presents itself in front of you now, the believer seizes that opportunity immediately. You know, when it comes to our dunya, shaitan will never delay it. Shaitan will never tell you, you know, in, 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 a, in, a, in a, when it comes to a sports event, let's say there's a seven game series, shaitan will never tell you, oh, it's only game one, don't, don't watch game one, you can watch game two. <laughs> Shaitan's never gonna come to you and tell you that. Shaitan's gonna tell you, watch game one, watch game two, watch every, you know, second of the match, you know, because that's what you need, you need entertainment. Shaitan's not gonna tell you when the opportunity to take a sinful glance comes, Shaitan's not gonna tell you, okay, look away, you know, take the next glance. Shaitan is going to tell you, okay, you got one glance, make sure it's good. <laughs> That's what Shaitan is going to tell you. But the believer, you know, recognizes that when it comes to sin, they stop themselves immediately. And when it comes to doing good deeds, they seize the opportunity immediately, they do not delay. Shaitan tells, wants to say to us, soon, eventually. And then on top of that, Shaitan will build fake humility within us. He will build fake humility in our hearts. Even this happened to me. You know, when I was, when I had made intention to do hibs, I remember I was walking uh, somewhere and just the thought came to me, you know, who do you think you are? Memorize Quran. Allah, Allah causes people, yeah, Allah gives this blessing to only certain people. You think, you think you're worthy of the Quran? You think you have the ability to memorize Quran? You know, who do you think you are? Uh, these are the thoughts that are coming to my mind. That, you know, maybe you know, I don't have the opportunity. Uh, maybe I don't have the ability to memorize Quran. You know, because when a person memorizes Quran, it means that Allah has showered His blessings upon that individual. Shaitan will say, Who, you, you think Allah is going to shower His blessings upon you? When it comes to memorizing Quran, or when it comes to studying, you think you're smart enough? This happened to the Sahaba. Hadith in Bukhari, Abdullah ibn Abbas, right? He was walking with his friend. And he was going to gain knowledge. And his friends, this is a hadith in Bukhari. His friend said to him, who do you think you are? He said, there's so many great companions alive today. There's Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. There's so many other companions. You know, those are the great companions. Because Abdullah Abbas is much younger. He said, who do you think you are? You know, let's just go entertain ourselves. You know what Ibn Abbas said? Because he knew the plot of shaitan. He says, from that moment on, taraktuha, I never talked to that person ever again. <laughs> he said, I left that person. I didn't take him as a friend anymore. Because I knew that he was putting these negative thoughts inside of our mind. This is what shaitan will do. Build fake humility, telling you you don't have this ability to discourage you from doing good. When you want to do good, he will tell you to delay it. And when it comes to doing evil, he will tell you to take this and seize the opportunity immediately. So these are some of the 
uh, tricks of shaitan. You know, I've gone, it's almost been an hour, but I have a few more things I want to mention. So these are, and there's so many other tricks of shaitan. But what are certain things that we find in hadith about how we can equip ourselves? You know, these are some things, some things that I've mentioned are, you know, more defensive. Right? You want to prepare yourselves for not being attacked by from shaitan. Now how can you, you prepare yourself so that shaitan doesn't even you know, approach you? What are certain things that you can do in regards to that? One of the most important things, Ibn al-Jawzi, rahmatullahi alayhi, writes in his book, Ibilis, Talbis Ibilis, the, the, you know, the, the uh, confusion of shaitan or the plots of shaitan, he says, the more ignorant a person is, the stronger the influence of shaitan is upon that person. And the more ignorant of deen a person is, the more stronger the influence of shaitan is upon that person. What does that show? One of the best ways a person can equip themselves from the plot of shaitan is from gaining knowledge. The Prophet says in a hadith in Muslim, that I am the most knowledgeable amongst you. And then he says, I am the most fearing of Allah amongst you. That shows when it came to taqwa, and when it came to knowledge, there is a complete, there is, there is a clear connection between the two. There is a clear connection between the two. So one of the ways a person protects themselves from shaitan is from gaining knowledge of deen. And from appreciating that. Because the Prophet says in another hadith, that Al-alimu ashadu ala shaitani min alfi abid. That one alim, one knowledgeable individual is tougher on shaitan than 1,000 worshippers. One alim, is tougher on shaitan than 1,000 worshippers. Bismillah. One of the great poets, he mentions an interesting line of poetry. He says, لَوْ كَانَ لِلْعِلْمِ مِنْ دُونِ التُّقَى شَرَفًا لَكَانَ أَشْرَفُ خَلْقِ اللَّهِ إِبْلِيسِ لَوْ كَانَ مِنْ دُونِ التُّقَى شَرَفًا لَوْ كَانَ لِلْعِلْمِ مِنْ دُونِ التُّقَى شَرَفًا لَكَانَ أَشْرَفُ خَلْقِ اللَّهِ إِبْلِيسِ That it was, if there was any honor to be gained from knowledge, other than taqwa, meaning the honor of knowledge that you gain taqwa. He says, if there was any honor in knowledge other than taqwa, then the most honorable of people would have been Iblis. Because he had knowledge, but he didn't gain that taqwa from that knowledge. Right? So one of the ways we increase ourselves in taqwa is from gaining knowledge of sharia, is from gaining knowledge of deen. The Prophet says in the hadith, he says, kun aliman, a command. Just become an alim, become a knowledgeable individual. Then he says, if you're not able to become an alim, or muta'alliman, or be someone that is at least engaged in studying. And then if you can't do that, or mustami'an, or someone who is sitting like here in the majalis of the ulama to seek knowledge. And then number three, or muhibban, or be amongst those who at least, at the very least, have love for gaining knowledge. وَلَا تَكُنْ خَامِسًا فَتُهْلِكْ And do not become the fifth, because then you will, you know, you will perish. And Hassan was asked, what is this fifth? He said, the person who makes innovations, and the person who has enmity in their heart against their ulama. This is one of the traps of shaitan as well. That number one, try to prevent a person from gaining knowledge, and number two, to build enmity in their heart of the ulama, so that a person looks down upon the ulama. And in addition to that, 
when we look in the Quran, we find that shaitan mentions explicitly what his goal is. What did he say in Surah A'raf? He says, ثُمَّ لَآتِيَنَّهُمْ مِن بَيْنِ أَيْدِيهِمْ وَمِنْ خَلْفِهِمْ وَعَنْ أَيْمَانِهِمْ وَعَنْ شَمَائِلِهِمْ He says, I will come to them from their front. I will come to them from their back. I will come to them from their right. And I will come to them from their left. Shaitan says this. And then he says, what will, what will be the result of all of this? My coming to them and my attacking them. He says, there is one quality that you will find that your servants do not have. What is that? وَلَا تَجِدُ أَكْثَرَهُمْ شَاكِرِينَ he says, you will find that your servants truly do not do shukr to you. So one of the traps of shaitan is to prevent us from doing shukr to, to prevent us from showing gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is one of the greatest uh, tricks of shaitan. One time Umar an, he saw someone doing tawaf. And as he was doing tawaf, the person kept saying, Allahumma ja'alni min al-qaleel, Allahumma ja'alni min al-qaleel. Oh Allah, make me from the few, make me from the few. Umar an then went to this person and he said, what dua are you making? You're saying, Allah make me from the few. Allah make me from the few. So the person said, haven't you read the statement of Allah? وَقَلِيلٌ مِّنْ عِبَادِيَ الشَّكُورٌ The very few of my servants are thankful. They show, very few of my servants grow, show gratitude to me. So he's saying, I'm asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make me from amongst those few servants. Those few servants that show gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is one of the biggest traps of shaitan. That he will cause us to not show gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What is that? That a person will continue to complain and not thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for what they have. What's another, what's one of the, you can say, practical way of showing shukr to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? The fact, we have to recognize that the fact that we see there are people in the world who can't see. It's a blessing of Allah. The fact that we're able to speak, there are people in the world who are not able to speak. The fact that we're able to hear, there's people in the world who are not able to hear. That's a blessing of Allah. Now how do we show things, how do we show gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in regards to those blessings? Is by using the eyes properly. By taking the blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us and using them in the manner which pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala best. That... Showing, showing gratitude to Allah in regards to our, eye, our eyes is not abusing the eyesight. Showing gratitude to Allah subhanahu, gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in regards to our tongue is by not using our tongue negatively, not using our tongue in a manner which displeases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is how we show shukr to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And one of the things, this is why the ulama say, one of the way you show shukr to Allah, you show gratitude to Allah in regards to your wealth is by spending in the path of Allah. If we just... And by just by spending in the path of Allah, this is one of the ways that you are showing uh, uh, to, uh, you're showing Allah Subhanahu wa Taala that you are grateful for what you that what He has given us. This is one of the ways that we show shukr. And you know there are many other things that could be shared and said about shukr. I'll just share one more hadith about uh, showing gratitude to Allah. Which on the day of judgment it said, "Yunada yawm al It will be said. It will be called on the day of judgment. An announcement will be made. That the people, Hamadun, those who praise Allah, get up and enter Jannah. Then a group of people will get up and they will enter Jannah. The Sahaba asked, Who are these Hamadun? They asked the Prophet, Who are these people who praise Allah? What did the Prophet respond by saying? That those people who thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala regardless of what situation they are in. 
And it comes in the books of uh, Tafsir, one of the Israeliyat, when Musa alayhi salam met Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One person asked Musa alayhi salam, how do I know that Allah is happy with me? How do I know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is happy with me? Musa alayhi salam said, I'll ask Allah when I speak to him next. This is mentioned in the books. And we know Musa alayhi salam spoke to Allah abundantly. So when Musa alayhi salam spoke to Allah, he asked this question. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Man radiya bi qada'i, whoever is content with whatever I have decreed for them, meaning regardless of what situation we're in, that we are thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for that. He says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, if a person is happy with this, in this, about the situation that I've put them in, then I am happy with them. And if a person, you know, shows a negative attitude towards me in regards to the situation that I have put them in, then I will show a negative uh, attitude towards them. This shows that if we want to know where Allah has pleased us, we just have to ask ourselves, you know, how much do we think, uh, show gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in regards to the situation that He has put us, that he has put us in? And the second to last thing I want to mention about the tactics that we can you know, implore to save ourselves from the plots of shaitan is one of the, the root of all sin is being heedless of Allah. Shaitan wants to make sure that we are not thinking about Allah. Shaitan wants to make sure that we are in a state of ghafla, in a state of, of heedlessness. This is why what does Surah Nas say? Now when you read this verse, don't ever trivialize it. What is, now you can remember inshallah what this verse means. What does Allah say in regards to the description of shaitan? Allah mentioned in Surah Nas, the description of shaitan. He says, مِنْ شَدُّ الْوَسْوَاسِ الْخَنَّاسِ From the evil of the one who whispers. And then what does khannas mean? This means that the one who is in a state of ghafla, shaitan is constantly whispering. The one who is not doing the dhikr of Allah inside of their heart, because dhikr is not always necessarily, it's not an act of the tongue. Dhikr is an act of the heart. Right? So Allah says, the one who is not doing the dhikr of Allah, shaitan is constantly whispering. But the one, whenever they mention, remember they, whenever they remember Allah, khanasa, khanas, shaitan retreats. Shaitan backs up. He goes away. Is what Allah is saying. Khanas means Allah is mentioning the negative quality and also one way we can defeat him which is what? the negative quality is the fact that shaitan whispers and then shaitan retreats how does shaitan retreat? from the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so when an individual is doing the dhikr of Allah shaitan is retreating shaitan is not whispering to this individual at that point whenever you are doing the dhikr of Allah and a thought comes to your mind know that that is your own that is the effect of shaitan upon you shaitan is not necessarily whispering that is because shaitan had whispered so much before that now you're you know you're on uh, cruise control you're kind of on cruise control those thoughts are still going coming into your mind because the effect of shaitan what does that mean? That we have to do, we need more dhikr. We need more dhikr. And this is why the Prophet ﷺ, he said, because the root of the effect of shaitan is ghafla, he said, if you do not want to be written amongst the ghafilin, if we do not want to be amongst those who are written in the books as those who are heedless of the remembrance of Allah, what did the Prophet ﷺ say? That you should read a minimum of 50 ayat. In one narration, he said you should read a minimum of 50 ayat of Qur'an in the day. So what is that? That seems very difficult. What is that? That's a surah mulk. The Prophet ﷺ said, there is a surah in Qur'an, I wish that everyone memorizes it. 
Tabarakallazee So just reciting Surah Mulk before going to sleep, right? That's reciting your Ayatul Kursi. Or that's reciting your Surah the last two verses of Surah Al-Baqarah before going to sleep. Just doing these things, it will protect you from the plots of shaitan. And the last thing I want to mention, Bismillah. And although I mentioned this last, this is, poss- this is probably the most important thing for us to remember. This is probably the most important thing for us to remember. Because when we, when we read the books of the plots of shaitan, this is one of the first hadiths that are mentioned about you know, combating the, the, the effect of shaitan. The Prophet ﷺ gave us a recipe to protect ourselves from the whispers and the plot of shaitan. What did he say? He said you need to do two things. The Prophet ﷺ said, whoever wishes to be in the middle of Jannah, whoever wishes to be in the highest place in Jannah, then you have to make sure you are with the jama'ah. Which means what? You have to make sure that you are in good suhbah, that you are making, that you are in the companionship in the company of pious people. Why? The Prophet said that if you are by yourself, the shaitan will devour you like a wolf devours a lonely sheep. If you are by yourself, you don't stay in the company of pious people. You don't stay in the company of the jama'ah. He says, if you just live your life by yourself, you don't do these things, you don't stay in the company of the pious. He says, shaitan will devour you like, he de- like the wolf devours a lonely sheep. And the second thing in another hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said, that building a connection with the masjid. He said as in a hadith, the Prophet ﷺ says, that I see fitna coming to my ummah like drops of water. I see fitna coming to my ummah like drops of water. And then he said, what? Ibn al-Masajid wattaqiduha himan That build masajid and use them as a fort. Himan literally means a fort. That use it as a place where you can protect yourself from the plot of shaitan. So building a connection with the pious, staying with the jama'ah, and also maintaining a connection with the masjid. And this is, I'm going to mention a few hadith about the importance of building a connection with the masjid. When, and this is a hadith mentioned in numerous books. When the Prophet ﷺ met Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Mi'raj, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asked the Prophet ﷺ a question. He said, فِيمَا يَخْتَصِبُ الْمَلَاءُ الْأَعْلَى He said, the highest ranking angels, they're competing with one another. Allah said, the highest ranking angels, they're competing with one another. What are they competing with one another in regards to? Allah asked the Prophet ﷺ this question. That what are they competing, the highest ranking angels? What are they competing with one another in regards to? The Prophet ﷺ said, La adiri. He said to Allah, I don't know. Hadith mentions that then, However, this took place, the Prophet ﷺ said that Allah you know, placed his kaf on my chest to such an extent that I felt the coolness of it. And then he said, he said, after Allah did this, I knew everything in the heavens and the earth. And then Allah asked the Prophet ﷺ, The highest ranking angels, what are they competing with one another in regards to? The Prophet ﷺ then said, They want to, what does it mean for the angels to compete? It means that there are certain servants of Allah, there are certain servants of Allah who are performing such deeds that are beloved to Allah that the angels want to pick it up and present it to Allah. 
That your servant did this, 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 this. So the hiring angels out of all the deeds that we can be doing, they're looking for a few things so that they can take it and present it in front of Allah. So the Prophet ﷺ said they are competing in one, with one another in regards to kafarat. What is that? These are, he says that these are those actions which give a person complete forgiveness. And then he explains. What, what are those actions that give a person complete forgiveness? Two things the Prophet ﷺ mentioned. كَثْرَةُ الْخُطَاءِ masajid. Those people who walk to the masjid frequently. Those people who go to the masjid frequently. And then the second thing he said were those people who stay in the masjid after one salah waiting for the next salah to take place in the masjid. These mala'ul a'la, these highest ranking angels, they are competing with one another in regards to presenting this deed in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This shows us how great of a thing it is to be in the masjid, to pray salah, how great of a deed it is to pray salah in the masjid, to come to the masjid abundantly. Because the Prophet ﷺ said, through building a connection from the masjid, you will protect yourself from the plot of shaitan. In that last hadith, the Prophet ﷺ says, Ahli Ahlul Masajid. My family are the people of the masajid. My family are the people of the masajid. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, I will honor the people of the masajid on the day of judgment, just like a person honors his family member after seeing them a long time. After seeing them after a long time, he says, just as you, when you see your relative coming back, visiting you after a few months, you greet them, you're so happy. You show them mercy. You're excited to see them. The Prophet ﷺ says, the person who goes to the people of the masajid, I will honor them on the day of judgment just like that. So we have to ask ourselves a simple question. Do we want to be honored on the day of judgment in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and through the Prophet If the answer is yes, then that necessitates that we build a connection with the masjid. So that we can protect ourselves from the plot of shaitan. So Allah was said, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us tawfiq, to make amal upon this. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us the ability to protect ourselves from the plot of shaitan. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us the ability to inculcate these advices. Ameen wa akhru da'wana an alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin. Jazakallah khair to our dear Mulana Arif for coming tonight and sharing with us this beautiful um, advice and from the Quran. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable me and all of us here who are present to practice this. We request you, inshallah, to remember him in your du'as and his family in your du'as. And also as, as uh, sadaqah, whatever knowledge you gain here, 